0: It is good to see each of you. If you're visiting with us tonight, thank you so much for being with us. If you will, take your Bible out and open to Colossians, the second chapter. I believe that's on page 1046 of your pew Bibles. Uh, we'll be looking at a few other passages tonight. We'll have most of the Colossians passages on the screen tonight, but if you have your Bible, we can study along together, and, and we'll be looking at a few other uh, passages together. Again, we... We say from the depths of our heart, thank you to those of you that organized the day yesterday. It was a tremendous day for us families, especially families of teenagers, and uh, we appreciate uh, the support and, and uh, helping to, to rear our children in the way that God would want us uh, to do that. And that day, I believe, was just as helpful, if not even more helpful for us as parents, as it was for, for the uh, teens, but I'm sure it's beneficial for both of us. Also, to those of you that participated in... Uh, The the Teddy Bear Workshop, we appreciate that tremendous ministry that just continues to, it's a steady ministry. It's always busy, it's always busy doing good and it's because of the support of this congregation and those of you that give your time. Uh, Many continually do this individually and then come to the workshops and support that. It's wonderful to be a part of a congregation where uh, something, uh, some ability, some talent that God has given us, there's a place to use that and let's make sure that that we do that and that we glorify God and and give him all the praise, all the credit, and let's be willing to be humble servants and look forward to that day that we can spend an eternity with him, uh, spending an eternity giving him the praise. Have you ever thought about progress? Really, what is progress? You know, when I lived on Long Island, New York, I worked around an Italian. And uh, he was old enough to be my father, and as you can imagine, he talked with his hands a whole lot, and, and he was kind of stuck back in, say, the 50s or the 60s, and, and he despised almost anything that, that was called progress. And, and he would get stirred up and talking about, and, and he would name something that happened in the news, and he said, and how's that progress? Is that progress? Tell me, David, is that progress? And, and so, you know, when we think about the, the uh, when someone a family gives us their phone numbers, have you noticed nowadays that a family of three can give you their phone numbers and it's like ten different phone numbers? You know, and you look down that and you say, is that really progress? Or, or you go to your microwave and, you know, you have to be a rocket scientist to be able to program the thing. Is that progress? Well, I know in one sense somebody say, well, of course that's progress. In another sense it's frustrating. Laying all that aside, think about this. Have you made progress spiritually? You see, that ought not be confusing to us, and it ought not be discouraging to us. That ought to be something that's real in our life. You know, when we're born into Christ, we're born into Christ as babes. And we're supposed to grow. There's supposed to be spiritual progress made in our life so that the longer we live, the more like Christ we become. That's why we're giving a theme to our short study through the book of Colossians. Not by any means covering every paragraph, but just picking a few paragraphs out of the book of Colossians. We're putting all this under the title that comes out of the third chapter in verse 4 when he says, When Christ, who is our life, appears. You see, that's progress. Whenever I can say, Christ is my life. Every day I live, I can say, Christ is my life. And also when I get off course, that's my compass. I know what to come back to because Christ is my life. And so as we think about Christ being our life, I want you to think about as Paul writes to a group of individuals that he's never met before, but he's heard about them through a brother, and he's so excited about their spiritual growth. And notice this as we read the first verse and then skip down and we'll read the first phrase of verse 5. Notice this beginning. This is just introductory here to this second chapter. Notice what he says in the second chapter verse 1 and then verse 5 for i want you to know what a great conflict i have for you and those in laodicea now the conflict there is not like uh, an abrupt harsh conflict it's a stirring within him that's that's very heavy it's something that that we say it's heavy on my heart it's something that i'm really serious about he's never met these people but he wants their spiritual progress. He sees they've already made some, and he's excited. And he wants their spiritual progress to continue. And so this is weighing on him heavy. And he says, the rest of verse 1, and for as many as have not seen my face in the flesh, he's never met them. Look down at verse 5. For though I am absent in the flesh, yet I am with you in spirit. And we'll read on in just a few minutes the rest of that. But there's a beautiful thought he says I feel heavy about this I feel great concern about this I've never met you you never met me but I love the progress that I've heard about and I want that progress to continue now again by way of introduction let's continue reading verse 2 and 3 and see what he would say to them if he were in person because remember he said I'm absent in flesh but I'm there in spirit so in other words I believe what he's saying if I was there in person this is what I would be saying so now read this knowing that I'm with you in spirit here's what he would begin verse 2 that their hearts may be encouraged how are you gonna encourage them Paul encourage them to do what we see two things here number one being knit together in love and number two now this is wordy but all of this that he's saying is going back to the gospel of Jesus Christ notice this number two an attaining to all riches of the full assurance of understanding to the knowledge of the mystery, that's the revealed, the things revealed about God, which comes to us through the gospel, of the mystery of God, both of the Father and of Christ, in whom are hidden all treasures of wisdom and knowledge. Paul says, I can't be with you, but I'm there in spirit. And if I were there in person, here's what I'd do. I'd encourage you to love one another. Be knit together in love. We don't have a choice as Christians. If we're going to make progress spiritually, we must learn to love each other. We don't all have the same personality. We don't all have the same abilities. We don't all have the same opportunities in life. But through Jesus Christ, we have a common Savior, a common faith, and in that, He says, I want you to be like Threads, that come together to make one piece of fabric knit together in love I'd like for us to just put your finger here if you have your Bible and turn over to first John the fourth chapter and I'd like for us to read one paragraph out of first John the fourth chapter and in this paragraph please be noting the sincere plea that John makes for us to have love for God and in that we must have love for one another now notice The book of 1 John is very much about love. He talks about in 1 John, we can't love the world and love Christ. And now this paragraph we're going to read, he's going to say you can't love God and say you don't love your brother. So really 1 John is is this. Don't love the world, love God. Love God, love your brothers and sisters. But note this in verse... We're going to begin in 4th chapter, verse 7. Note this paragraph. Listen for love. Beloved... That's how he addresses them. He's saying to them, I love you. God loves you. Beloved, let us love one another, for love is of God. And everyone who loves is born of God and knows God. He who does not love does not know God, for God is love. In this, the love of God was manifested. It was made known toward us that God has sent His only begotten Son into the world that we might live through Him. In this love, you notice that wording there? He says, look at this love. God sent His Son to the world to live for us, to die for us. Now He says, in that, in that kind of love, not that we love God, but that He loved us and sent His Son to be the propitiation for our sins. Beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. God loved us first. He loved us, Romans 5 would say, while we were yet sinners, He sent His Son to die for us. While we were enemies of His, He sent His Son to die for us. In other words, God made the first move of love. And as John is writing here, he says, God's love, so we ought to love. Then he says, if you want an example of God's love, God loved first. God loved while we were enemies. And then he says, now, that's what I want you to do for one another. Friends, one of the greatest challenges that we have to be like God is to love someone when they haven't loved us. To love someone when they've harmed us first. We didn't do anything. They harmed us. And God says, I want you to learn to love them. It's easy for us to love the lovable. But the real test as to whether or not I'm like God is what I can do, love toward another, when they're not so lovable. And so from throughout the whole Bible. But from the beginning of the the New Testament, Matthew, we see Jesus on this earth making the plea to love God first, love thy neighbor as thyself. When we leave the Gospels and we go into Acts, we see a church that is established based upon a God that is loving, a Savior that was given out of love, and to bring a people to Him that will love as He loved. And so then when we leave the book of Acts, and we go throughout the epistles, every few pages we see the plea, love one another. So, another thing about this. Paul is writing to a group of Christians that he's never met before, but he's so encouraged by their spiritual progress. What do you say to people that are doing good? He says, I just have to encourage you. Be knit together in love. But then a the second thing that he would say to encourage them as he would talk about the gospel. If you're back there, or, or you see it on the screen here, I want you to notice some of the words here when he says, I want you to attain to all riches of the full assurance of understanding. What's the gospel? It's rich. And he says, I want you to have full assurance, and I want you to attain those riches in full assurance. Can you give yourself wholly over to the will of God? When you're having a problem in life, are you willing to go and see what the Word of God says and know that that is the richest, In other words, the greatest blessing that you can bring to your life is to obey the will of God fully. Somebody says, I don't know if I trust God that much. Full assurance. Can we give ourselves in full assurance to God in that way? Now, notice these words here. In this passage, we see words like knowledge. We see words like understanding. And we see words like wisdom. All of those should stem from the Scriptures. Where do we learn about God, both the Father and the Son, as he says here? that knowledge comes from the scriptures do we have a proper understanding of the scriptures you know 2 Timothy 2 and 15 when he told us to study he told us to rightly divide the word of truth and so we need to have the knowledge but we need to have the understanding but what good is it if you don't know how to apply it to -to day-to-day living and so he says hey I want you to have the knowledge and I want you to have the right understanding of the knowledge but I want you to know how to apply it to -to day-to-day so that's wisdom Where are we going to get all this wisdom? Where are we going to get this understanding? Where are we going to get this knowledge? It all goes back to what's been revealed through the Scriptures. So Paul, how are you going to encourage these brothers here? He says, I'm going to encourage them to love each other. And I'm going to encourage them to learn the Scriptures. Understand the Scriptures. And learn how to apply the Scriptures to their day-to-day life. You know what? He writes to this group that appears to be very faithful. And gives a warning look at the next verse it's very easy to be deceived look at verse 4 as we go to Colossians, the second chapter now this I say lest anyone should deceive you with persuasive words you know how when you're talking to someone and you say now this is why I'm saying this that's kind of what Paul's doing here isn't it now this I say in other words I've encouraged you to stay with the Scriptures. I've encouraged you to love one another. Paul, we're faithful Christians. (laughs) Of course we love each other. Of course we love the Scriptures. Paul, why would you say that to us? This I say. I'm saying it because of this. It's so easy to be persuaded with false teaching. I need to believe that. Friends, it doesn't matter how long I've been a Christian. If I ever cease be careful to stand on sound doctrine I'm setting myself up for failure we need to make sure that not just our leadership is committed to that we need to make sure that every deacon every Bible class teacher every minister Every mother and father, every youth and child, we need to make sure that every member of the Lord's church is committed to the fact that, yes, I could be easily deceived if I ever take my eyes off of the Word of God. Now, I think all of that is somewhat introductory to this paragraph, if you will, this paragraph of progress. He's encouraging them with these things. But then to get to what I believe is the meat of this one paragraph, he's saying, here's the progress I'd like for you to make. Let's look as we read 5, 6, and 7. I want you to notice what I call the action words of 5, 6, and 7. Here's the spiritual progress that ought to be made in our life. Look with me, verse 5. For though I am absent in the flesh, yet I am with you in the Spirit. Here we go. Rejoicing to see your good order and the steadfastness of your faith in Christ. As you have therefore received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in Him, rooted and built up in Him and established in the faith as you have been taught, abounding in it with thanksgiving. The first two words here that we'll link together to to see a point that Paul is making about progress is he's saying, I'm rejoicing because I've heard these things about you. And it's implied there, I want you to continue in these. He said, I want you to have good order, and I want you to have steadfastness. When you do a word study on good order, and I know in English it's not nearly as clear, but I'm telling you, when you do a word study on good order, it's very evident that that is somewhat of what we would call a military term. In other words, it's the idea of everyone falling into rank and fulfilling their place. Can you imagine a, an army ready to face an enemy, but yet there's all kinds of holes in their front line? And the soldiers are there, and there's well, where's this man? Where's this man? Where's this artillery? Where's this equipment? We're missing a lot of people. I wouldn't want to go into war like that. And here Paul is writing to the church, and one of the first things that he says to them, and as we begin here, a listing of things, he says, "I want everybody to be in their place, rank and file. Order is very important to Lord, in the sense that what He has asked us to do, let's do it." You know, now, we live in a religious society where there's a lot more emphasis placed upon what the emotions of people want to do than what the rank and file of God's commands. Look with me, if you will, to 1 Corinthians, the 14th chapter. Hold your finger here. We'll come right back to this text. I want you to see another time that this word is used in the Scriptures. It's in 1 Corinthians, the 14th chapter. He has said in verse 23, therefore, if the whole church comes together in one place, we see that he's talking about when the church comes together to worship, 1 Corinthians, the 14th chapter, the church has come together, and he talks about several things that ought to take place when the church comes together. Now, of course, one reason he's writing this, the Corinthian brethren, they were not doing quite as well as it seemed like the church in Colossae was doing. Uh, They seemed to have a lot of things out of order. And so he writes to them, and he addresses in verse 27 uh, and and 28 the fact that those that were speaking in tongues, let it be two and no more than three. Let them have an interpreter. And if the interpreter's not present, everyone keeps silent. You see, that that was the rank. In other words, we're going to have a worship service. Lord, what's the order you want us to have? He says, I don't want five or six or seven guys speaking in tongues. I want there to be order here. Two. At the most three, never do it without an interpreter. Then we read on down, and we see the prophets, 29 and 30. Same thing, two, no more than three. Prophecy comes the one saying, let him keep silent. In other words, there's not going to be chaos here. God's not the author of confusion. He, he has an order that he wants to be kept. We read on in 33 and 34. Let your women keep silent in the churches. And of course, as we read on here, and we read on in First Timothy 2, It has to do with submission. In other words, everyone keeping their rank in their place. Now, he says all of this, and notice the conclusion of this chapter, verse 40. Let all things be done decently and in order. I know I've said this to you before, but I believe because of our religious climate today, it is worth it to emphasize this often. There's something wrong when someone begins discussing what they want to do in worship, and then they begin to kind of mockingly quote this verse. Oh yeah, we have to do things decently and in order, don't we? I'd hate to stand before God and have to answer that I mocked Him. Friends, that's not my words. Do things decently and in order. That's not the words of the elders of the Mount Juliet Church of Christ. That's not the words of some scholar that just happened to say, wow, it'd be good if there was some decency and order when it came to worship. Those are the words of the Almighty God that set all things into order and then told man the order that he wanted him to fulfill these things. And then after he closes, a short passage about that order says, I want to remind you again, do things decently, and in order. We ought to approach this verse with great respect because it's the mouth of God. It says, I want this order. Now, as we think about that, it's also interesting as we go back to our home text of Colossians, the second chapter, he says not only I want you to have this good order in your life, and by the way, in Colossians 2, I don't think he's talking about just in worship. Colossians 2, he's talking about the general sense of Christianity. He wants each of us to fulfill our place, rank and file. But notice what he links here. He says, good order, and then if you're looking there at verse 5, he says, and the steadfastness. And that's beautiful. In other words, he's saying, I want every man, every woman, every boy and girl, I want them in their place, and I want them there continually. Steadfast. What good is it if you have a soldier, but you don't know if they're going to show up on the battle day? Well, I tell you what, sometimes they show up, sometimes they don't. Don't know if they'll be here today. The Lord says, no. Through Paul here, he says, I want that order. I don't want it steadfast. Have you ever thought the blessing that it is to have elders, that they know the rank, they know the responsibility that God has given them, and they show up to fulfill that on a daily basis? They live that life. I think how tragic it would be to have elders... They knew the rank, but wouldn't do it steadfastly. Walk with me, if you will, in your minds down the hallways on Sunday morning. I mean, think about this for just a moment. You look in that classroom, and there's little ones there, and a lot of times you grin as you look at the little ones, if you're like me. It's just, isn't it awesome to see them stacked around a table there, and you look in there, and you look in that room, and they get a little taller as you go down, and then you walk through the adults, and, and you see adults here and adults there. And I'll go back and walk through those rooms and what do you see? There's a teacher. There's a co-teacher. There's another teacher and another teacher. There's another teacher and another teacher and another teacher. Isn't it wonderful that we have people that will fulfill their rank and they'll do it steadfastly. You can come Sunday morning and and they'll be in there teaching the three-year-olds. And you come back next Sunday morning and they're teaching the three-year-olds. And you come back the next Sunday morning and they're teaching the three-year-olds. I have never in my life heard Pat Hackney turn down a need to teach. I'm not saying that to just pat him on the back. I'm saying that as an example of steadfastness. I've been in many situations where I've heard it said, we need an adult teacher for next quarter. If you need me to, I'll take that. We need a substitute teacher next week You need me, I'll take that. Friends, that's steady. That's steady. Lord, what ability have you given me? That's my rank. And Lord, you can count on me. I'll be steady for you. Now, if I get tired in life, I might have to slow up on my hobby, but I'm not going to slow up for you, God, because when it comes to you, I'm steady. I may have to slow down on my entertainment. I may not be able to go to as many movies. I'm starting to get tired. But Lord, I'll be steady for you. What use is it if we have a, a, a rank, if we have an ability, and the Lord can't count on us? Let's make sure that whatever rank God has placed us, if you're a husband, fulfill that rank and be steady. If you're a mother, fulfill that rank and be steady. If God's given you the ability to teach, fulfill that rank and be steady. If He's given you the ability to talk one-on-one and invite people, fulfill that rank and be steady. Time out here. Friends Day, four weeks from today, an exciting day, May 15th. Don't forget that day. Almost every year, we usually are able to help lead someone to christ out of friends day be thinking about friends you have that do not go to church anywhere they're not members of the lord's church they're not faithful to christ please be making that list now be prayerful about that list and in a week or two you'll want to start inviting them if god's given you the ability to talk to people and and befriend Use this year as another time to say, I want to invite them. I want to be steady for God. I've invited in the past, and I'm not going to stop this year. I want to keep inviting. Rank and steadfastness. Let's look at the other action words here. We'll have to pick up the pace a little bit. Verse 6, he said, As we receive Christ Jesus Lord, so walk in Him. When we think of walk, what do we think about? A pilgrim? This earth's not my home. I'm just a passing through. Flip back a page in your Bible and look at Philippians, the third chapter, and verse 20. Is this earth our home? Look at verse 20 of the Philippians, the third chapter. For our citizenship is in heaven from which we also eagerly wait for the Savior, our Lord Jesus Christ. Can we say that? This earth is not our home our home is in heaven our citizenship is in heaven some of us go down and we visit el salvador and we love the people down there dearly we love the work down there dearly there's a lot of things that there's to love about el salvador but when i'm down there you know i'm not ready to give up my us citizenship i'm looking forward to being able to come home and when i come home the reality is we're not home are we The reality is we're just a pilgrim here. Our citizenship is not here. What we're looking for is we're looking forward to going really home. In Hebrews, the great chapter of faith, 11th chapter and verse 13, they confess that they were pilgrims and strangers on this earth. Let's not be tied down to this earth. Paul writes to a faithful group. He wants them to make more progress. And he says, I just want you to keep walking with Christ. As long as we're walking with Christ, we're not going to put our anchor down here. As long as we're walking with Christ, we know that this place is not our home. Let's read on. Verse 7, he says, I want you to be rooted. We put our roots down. Now, when I think of this, I can't help but think of a tree. You know, Psalms, the first chapter, there's that tree that's beside the, the rivers of the water. And, and that tree, we envision in our mind, and the Lord tells us there that it bears fruit in its season. Its leaves not wither, and Whatever it says to do, it prospers. Can we say that that's our life? Lord, we have put our roots down in Christ Jesus. And Lord, we want to produce fruit for you in our life. We're not going to be wishy-washy, come and go. Our leaves are not going to wither. We're going to be there for your service, Lord. And Lord, we know that if we do that, you'll prosper what we set our hands to do. But notice he said also, rooted, verse 7, and built up. This comes to mind, a structure that's being built. Notice, rooted, it somewhat goes to a point in time. But here, the tense of built up. is pointing to continual. As long as we're on this earth, we never stop building. Now, have you ever met, I was about to say a woman. It could happen to a man, couldn't it? Have you ever met a man or a woman that they always were talking about another addition on the home? You ever met them and somebody said, man, y'all never stop building. Well, yeah, we're thinking about another sunroom out here. Well, we're thinking about adding on a little master bedroom suite out here. It never stops. Well, you know what? Spiritually, that's the way it's to be. Spiritually, we never stop building for the Lord. We are growing in our faith every day. Rooted, that's talking about us being grounded and built up. That's talking about us growing in our faith. Let's look at another uh, action word here as we move down deeper into verse 7, in Him. We're built up in Him, established in the faith as you have been taught. Now remember, if you go back to the first chapter in verse 7, they were taught by Epaphras. And so he no doubt is referring to what Epaphras has taught them. And what he's pointing to there is the fact that they've learned, but they shouldn't learn and quit. They continue learning. In other words, they continue being a student, a student for life. Man, that sounds like good news, doesn't it? But that's what it is when we're Christians. We're students for life. And then notice this last one, abounding in it with thanksgiving. When we look uh, in the Old Testament, we see one of the prophets. We see Ezekiel, and we see that, that God has shown him a vision. And in this vision, we see that God showed him a w- river of water that it flowed from the thresh, uh, threshold of uh, the temple, and it, it flowed out to the gate. And out of the gate, a man came and was measuring, had a line, and was measuring this water. And he measured 1,000 cubits and called him over to stand in it, and the water came to his ankle. Then he measured off another 1,000 cubits with a string or with a line, and the man called him to stand in it, and it came to his ankle. And he measured off another 1,000 cubits, and the man called him to stand in it, and it came to his waist. And he measured one more time, another 1,000, and he called him to come stand in it, and he said, no man could stand in it. He'd have to swim, but yet, pointing to the fact I suppose it was so wide, he said, no man could swim across it. And what's interesting, there's no tributaries. There were no contributing streams to that stream. It just started, and it got bigger and bigger and so big that it overflowed its banks. How's that happen? You see, that can't happen with a stream of water here on earth. There has to be more being placed into it for it to overflow its banks. What's the teaching here when he says abounding in it with thanksgiving? That's what the word abounding means, to overflow. How, how can we abound with thanksgiving with Christ Jesus? That's the way it works with Christ Jesus. We don't add other things to Christ. Oh, let me add some of the old law of Moses. Let me add some of the philosophies of men. Let me add some of the traditions of men. Let me add some Hinduism. Let me add some Islamic faith in here. Let me add something to Jesus Christ. And the answer is no, 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 no. What do we do? Stay only with Jesus? Absolutely. Stay with Jesus and what will happen? Our faith will abound. If someone would have came up to you, if you've been a Christian for a long time, somebody who came up to you 20, 25 years ago and said, explain the blessings of being a Christian. And now someone comes up to you today and says, explain the blessings of being a Christian. It's so much greater today, and still we can't put it into words. Why? Have you added something to Christ? No. The longer we serve Christ, the more we abound in spiritual blessings. The more we try to comprehend all that God has done for us, but we still can't get our hands around it. It's abounding. Let's look at verse 8 as we extend the invitation. He's back to the beware again. Beware lest anyone cheat you through philosophy and empty deceit according to traditions of men, according to basic principles of the world and not according to Christ. Again, that warning. Philosophies of men will get us. Traditions of men will get us. Don't fall for the principles of the world. What's wrong with all those things? And here's the phrase. They're not according to Christ in other words uh, thus says the Lord what's Christ's will in my life what's Christ's will for the church how does Christ want us to worship how does Christ want us to serve him when we can say I want to do it according to Christ we can have spiritual progress we can be that soldier that, that shows up we can be that pilgrim that's on the journey we can be that tree that's rooted we can be that structure that continually is built. We can be that student that's continually learning. We can have blessings that abound to awesome things, but only when we stay with Christ. Paul, what do you say to faithful people? Love each other and get in the gospel and stay with Jesus. And then you'll see spiritual progress. Tonight... If you haven't begun that journey, won't you start tonight? There's no better life to live. A life with Jesus Christ. That's where the riches, where the riches and the fullness of life is. Attain that tonight. If you have been baptized into Christ and somewhere along the way you, you've lost direction, you can't say, I haven't made spiritual progress lately, to be honest with you. Why don't you come back to God? Get back on the right track. There's no one here perfect. Every one of us can identify with struggling. But what doesn't make sense is when we struggle alone. Let's repent of those things and let's ask God's forgiveness. Let's come back and lean upon our Lord and Savior, Jesus. He's the only way we can make progress. It's not in and of ourself alone. It's when we find our completeness in Him, verse 9 and 10 of that same chapter. We can help you in any way. Come as we stand, as we sing.